Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Bowen Yang, and welcome to Search Party, the podcast brought to you by iHeartRadio and HBO Max. Think of this as an audio companion to the dark comedy series you can't help but binge watch. Today's theme is fame and narcissism, two things no one working in entertainment have ever encountered. So we're all really going to have to use our imaginations here. Joining me today to discuss this are none other than Claire McNulty, who plays the one and only Chantal Witherbottom on the show, and actress and comedian Kate Berlant, who you also know from her role as Elliot's publisher, Nia. It's a great conversation. Are you ready for it? I hope so. Let's go. Hello. How are we doing? Hi. (laughs) We're doing great. Okay, the theme of today's episode is fame and narcissism. We really bundled those two together. Um, I want to ask, what's been the most narcissistic thing each of us has done this week? This week, I can start. Yeah, I will start. um, Experimented with highlight placement. I I don't know. It it, it just involved a lot of, like, mirror... uh, um, time and so did you do the half moon didn't oh didn't do that but i i finally did like jawline highlights i guess Mm. i guess this Mm. is an area that i did and then like it was of course we have cheekbone and then down the nose but um but this this was new and that was sort of a very narcissistic exercise if you had done the cupid's bow then it would have been full narcissism i did do the cupid's bow indeed indeed um kate what about you well actually last night i um am one of the Americans who suffers from migraines, um, mm. <laughs> chronic migraines. Thank you. And so I just got prescribed a shot, an injection that you give yourself in the leg once a month. Oh and it's supposed to be very effective. I'm, I'm scared. Called Amovig, if anybody wants to look it up. But I had to inject myself last night in the leg and I was freaked out about it. And then I had my boyfriend, he suggests he knows me too well. He was like, why don't I film you on your phone and then you'll you'll play the camera and it won't be as real. And it's <laughs> horrifying. That was the case. And so I went through the whole protocol and gave myself the injection. And because the camera was there, I was able to do it. Oh my goodness. Incredible footage. If you want access to it. Have you watched it? How many, Have you watched it like more than once? Oh, several times. Sent it to, you know, about five people. Well, how do you feel about your boyfriend proposing the idea I was like, when are we getting married? It was so it was so intimate. Mm. I felt completely seen. Yeah. Okay. Well, it was just it was affirming, and it was it was affirming, and not sort of this like uh, 
assessment uh, of you that was just like there was no judgment nor judgment. I mean, I weep for him that that's who he lives with, but I did. (laughs) There was no judgment attached whatsoever. It was like a deep knowing. That's beautiful. Okay, and Claire, what about you? I I I just got back from a from a long camping road trip, and there was a day maybe three or four days ago in the middle of it when um, I changed outfits like three three times in that day because I wanted to look I wanted to look cute while I was of camping, course, totally. you know. So I went from, you know, I tried a couple of different shorts with a couple of different tops and, you know, I'm, I'm deciding that now is the time that I want to show my midriff when I'm camping, you know, I'm finally confident enough in my mid thirties, like, when am I going to be able to do this again? Anyway, so I went, I did midriff, which is for me, it was a, it was a huge step and it was narcissism, but I'm also very proud. i really want to get into midriff. I'm still too scared. It's so sad. I don't think that it's narcissistic of you to want to... I mean, you're already opting into an aesthetic by going camping. So I feel like, of course, yes. you would want to experiment with outfits, you know? Yes, yes. yes. Thank you. I so, appreciate that. It's like in the 60s, going to the airport meant something sartorially. Right. And now... <laughs> true. That's camping. It's true. It is. Okay. We have a lot to talk about with fame and narcissism as it relates to Surge Party. But I want to start with Chantal, the character... One of the the more cloying characters on the show, just and I think that's that's all sort of in the portrayal that you bring to that character, Claire. And it's just so fun to watch, and you're, it's just so bewildering. And like, <laughs> I think you. one of the one of the one of the perfect instances of Chantal is I think in season three when she's watching these people in the street being like, "Oh, that Dory smiling in her mugshot, that's despicable." And then you, as Chantal, get very distressed, and you go. What does this mean about me? And then we go into the title card. But I mean, that's just so funny. Um, <laughs> it's so funny, Claire. You're such a genius on the show. So it's amazing. It's perfect. Um, what are you? What's the application for you as an as as an actor? Uh, uh, like, what are you bringing to that character anytime uh, you're in a scene? Well, she's uh, she's she was really confusing for me, I think, for for a lot of the time that I was playing her. And it wasn't, it was something that I realized a couple of seasons, I mean, three seasons into it, which is that I didn't understand what it felt like to enjoy feeling things. <laughs> like, there, the, this is true of a lot of the, the characters on Search Party, I think, is that they really, really love to feel things. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh-huh. You know, it seems like, you know, as an actor, that's something that I should inherently feel. But with Chantal, it's particularly cultivated because the things that she feels are so insane. Yeah. <laughs> um, so my thing about Chantal has been allowing myself to enjoy the more extreme and irrational feelings that she has. That's sort of been my journey with her. Yeah, I think it's pure extremity. I think it's like she is just all over the place in terms of her ambition or just in terms of what she wants to do. I mean, what do you think is her ultimate goal? Is it to become a poet? Is it to become this heartbreak castle person? Is it to be famous? I mean, what like what 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 do you think Chantal actually wants? I don't I I think like that's that's what makes her interesting is that she has these disparate things that she can't really seem to focus on. 
Yeah, I don't know if I could say a long-term goal of Chantal's. I'm not sure that's something she she's capable of, but I mm. I think that I think that she chases. Thank you, thank you. Um, but she, I think she's chasing validation. I think she's chasing a lot of feelings. I think, and that tends to lead her in in all of these various directions. And I don't think there's a lot of logic to it. I mean, she doesn't really seem to have a grasp on what has like led her from environment to environment. Like by the time she's back in New York. I don't think she really realizes that Dory and Elliot and Portia and Drew have like gone to such great lengths to bring her back. I mean, it's just so everything's such a smooth surface in her life. There's just no texture in terms of like what brings her from one moment to the next. But I feel like in her narcissism, though, she's at least harmless. Yeah. I mean, which you can't which which can't really be said about other characters. It's hard to be it's hard to be harmful when there's no premeditation. <laughs> uh-huh. Maybe. Uh-huh. Um, but also I'm I wish I remember what this what the actual um name for this condition is, but there's some condition where you're always living in the present. There's no past and there's f- no future. You're just constantly living in the present. <laughs> okay. Buddhism. Buddhism. I believe is the illness that you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Right, I guess that's enlightenment. That might be part of her her psychosis too. It's funny you say harmless. I once just I just you remember you reminded me that once in therapy I referred to my narcissism as benevolent narcissism. I, like, <laughs> I mean, sometimes I sure fall into a benevolent narcissism. What does that mean? What does that mean to you? <laughs> <laughs> that I don't. I think sometimes, and I blame my childhood. You know, only child. It does sometimes, depending on your parents, but there's a little bit of the feeling of the world revolving around you. It's very real. Sure. It's solipsism, which is a different kind of... It's not even narcissism. I mean, there there's overlap there, but it's like, for your reality be, to be the only valid one is... It's entitlement. I think that's... I don't know if I'm... <laughs> I don't know if I'm a narcissist, I, but I think there I have a level of entitlement for sure that's... Well, but it's not think, violent. It's not malicious. I don't think no. I, I'm not hurting people. I still think I'm considerate, but it's there. <laughs> and it's the distinction isn't that it's benevolent narcissism as opposed to malevolent narcissism, where it's all it all comes from the same source, but then the way that it's executed upon after it passes through some narcissism filter is different. You know, I think narcissism is actually one of the most like misused. I feel like there isn't a common understanding of what narcissism is because yeah, even yeah. as we talk about it, I'm like, well, what is narcissism really? Because I feel like there isn't a common agreed upon definition in culture. I think that uh-huh. we're all like, I've been misusing the term projection for years. Yeah. Like, I feel like there's certain terms like projection, narcissism that we just use and they're, we don't know what we're saying. And then we never are able to communicate with each other. Okay. Okay. <laughs> For the purposes of this, I mean, how do we want to define narcissism? I let's just say that it's self-obsession. That seems pretty. Mm-hmm. But isn't basic? narcissism also, in a lot of ways, born out of self-hatred? I think isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Like absolutely. it's it's like you hate yourself, so your everything becomes about you. Uh huh. Everyone, everyone I know that describes themselves as a narcissist is someone that I that I find to be truly empathic. Uh-huh. <laughs> Everyone who's willing to describe themselves as a narcissist in my life is somebody who I'm very, very happy to be around. <laughs> I mean, look at me being able to say I have narcissistic tendencies. Exactly. Uh, clearly, I'm, I'm an angel, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
Well, as it relates to Chantal and on that harmlessness track that we're on, she finds herself in these crazy scenarios in this oblivious way. And I feel like that's probably... And it's like what you were saying, Claire. It's like there's no intention of malice in her narcissism. So that's probably what makes her... Innocence. Sort of, it's innocent. Yeah, totally, yeah. totally. Whereas you would you would have someone like Elliot who is purely destructive, purely malevolent in this way that like erases history, rewrites <laughs> it, all this stuff. But let's play this clip of Chantal at this femployment party. Okay. Um, and she has an idea for a business. Uh, but she can't really, it's still this formless sort of thought in her head. And um, the person running this group sort of helps her, just teases this thought out to help her arrive at what this business could be. Because on the other side of fear is business. So you're saying I should, sorry, what are you saying? I'm saying, what does your heartbreak empire look like? Supportive. I love that. And highly lucrative. Oh, another word that's coming to mind is luxury. There you go. That's it. A supportive, highly lucrative, luxurious, heartbreak... Shelter? Boom. Oh my god. Fantastic. That actress, that woman's amazing. Too. Lucia Struess is amazing. She's and so good. she she I worked with her, actually I asked her to come and help me work on some stuff for season four, and she completely like she blew my mind about amazing. Wow. She she broke Chantal open for me in this really amazing <gasps> way. She's very oh, she's very to special. Act. To act. To really yeah. act. You know, I, you know, have yet to become um, a series regular. I kind of just pop in, say a few lines and leave across my career. So when I finally get those episode arcs and I can really get into the, into the meat of the character, but um, yeah, to have some, to have a character to work on, can't imagine. It's, it's really great. That's amazing. But it's so sweet in that scene, your eyes, Claire, again, that like the innocence of Chantal and just like, it's a heartbreaking. It is. She's trying to find, I I also, I think maybe something I've always thought of her as really fucking like shy, you know, Mm -hmm. like actually very shy and very insecure and very responding to the energies around her and trying to make sure that everybody around her is okay while simultaneously being totally oblivious to their feelings. (laughs) Yeah. But she has always been very vulnerable. I mean, she's very, very raw. Mm Mm-hmm. I think part of that is being is being really insecure and being really confident at the same time. Well, for her to just leave in the first season to go be in Montreal, I mean, that for her instinct to be like, I just went through something, I have to go be by myself far, far, far away. I mean, that's a very like romanticized thing now where it's like, oh, it's, it's a retreat or, or whatever. But it's like for her, the thing that she does is disengage perhaps i think when she is confronted with certain things she flails and flounders and doesn't really know what to sort of get a foothold on because i think the episode before this of the of the clip that we just played i think chantal's parents are confronting her on what she did with the reward money and all this stuff and you have chantal saying i'm gonna start a business i don't know what it is yet but there's gonna be an app and like it's it's (laughs) like she she just doesn't know she doesn't know what to do. I, I I feel like 
the thing that makes her harmless in her narcissism is that she doesn't, I mean, you know, she doesn't know who she is. And so how can she be, her narcissism can only go so far and extend to such a limited reach because it's like, well, you can't really build something from nothing. Is that fair right. to say? I'm not, I'm, I, don't, yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't mean to totally like reduce Chantal down to like no. this thing. But. In a way, it's like the only thing that makes her functional. <laughs> sure. It's her narcissism. It's the only thing that keeps her moving forward, you know, which I think is probably true to some degree for everybody you know but like totally for her the the like one step forward and the two steps back are so intense you know for her it's like one step forward 10 steps back yeah any little bit of forward momentum is helpful okay well let's um set that against this malevolent narcissism of elliot who is a narcissist but is surrounded by narcissistic people not limited to dorian portia and drew with Kate, your character, Nia, I feel like I feel like Nia is this to see the two of you together is beautiful, but then to have your character sort of like also tease out these narcissistic tendencies and in Elliot is this scary, unsettling thing. I think we have that clip ready to go as oh. well. Let's watch that. We do. Oh my um, god, this- my naturalistic arc. Again, it's the role is about <laughs> naturalism is on the page, you know, I just want to be clear. This is I couldn't uh, cross my eyes in this one. And that's that's the instinct normally? Yeah, to cross the eyes. <laughs> I mean, I think what's important to us is that we were able to provide you with the help that you needed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this book is so real. And we were thinking, what if you were able to incorporate your breakdown, for lack of a better word, into the narrative, right? I think that would be such a giving storyline. You know, I learned a lot at Hallways. And I really realized I just want to be honest And I want to be honest about this book. Yeah. So here's the truth. I don't want to work. I don't like working. Working sucks. (laughs) Well, first, let's ask, what was it like working with your best friend on set? He is a tyrant. Puts me in my place. Abusive on and off set. Um, (laughs) No, it's so fun just to be able to watch him work. Mm. (laughs) To really see it up close. Um... (laughs) No, it's of course so fun. I love that moment so much because it's such a reminder of there. there's so much craziness going on in Search Party. And th- when Nia reacts that way, when she when she's like, I'm sorry, what? It's this li- really great reminder that there is a world outside of the world of these characters, yeah. a world in which it's not okay mm-hmm. to say, I don't want to work anymore. And it's a wonderful, it's like a such a great, funny, grounding moment. Nia is kind of the spine of the show, I would argue. She's kind I of would the say silent the same. structure. She's the, she's, and she's everyone's the mother. orbiting around Nia. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I was going to say very earnestly that Nia is one of the few citizens of the world of the show who lives in this moral universe where like things should happen in a right or wrong way. But also, I mean, do we feel that Nia kind of enables the worst tendencies in Elliot? Yeah, sure. Because she sees dollar signs. Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, I think probably... I mean, we all see that of people who are off the rails and like not doing well other than the people around them who stand to get rich off of them or kind of want them to kind of go deeper into the their own pathology. Oof. Dark. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I feel like fame and narcissism. Well, let's let's just talk about the fame part because in the show, fame is treated as, as this thing that like you do it no matter the cost or, or whatever. Totally. Or, or you, you attain it no matter the cost. Right. 
much like life. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, have we? Have, what what have we lost along the way to like us being on TV? <laughs> I mean, I've given up so much. I can't so much. even go to the grocery store, Corona aside, for years now. I can't live my life. And it's yeah. every day, well, who, which paparazzi are outside the house today? And yes, just, yes. No, I can't trust anyone. People want to be my friend. Why? You know, everyone <laughs> wants a piece. Well, I, I I was having this conversation with people, with friends who are also in the biz. And yeah. <laughs> and all of us were like, oh, wait, like there's never been a thing I've related to more than like when Britney Spears shaved her head off, like her hair off. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's like, of course you would like be this erratic person in the world with everyone's attention trained on you. Not everyone, but like uh, just a, a scaled up group of people's attention is sort of. Oh, Britney. I was thinking about Britney. And just, I mean, who can, sur- few people can survive being Britney Spears. Has she survived Maybe no that one. even? No, no, she hasn't. I mean, she's still there. No her, her, her shell is still there and she's still being animated by like her father. I, I don't know. I, I really don't know the. the yeah, yeah, me neither. Uh, we'll me see neither. a documentary about that in seven to 10 years. That'll be really I, I, illuminating. Where is the doc? Like. Yeah. Um, <laughs> where is the HBO doc? Erin um, Lee Carr needs to get on that. Oh my God. But I just think that fame is this thing that just, like, withers you and, like, eats you alive, even if you're not experiencing it, even if you're not on the receiving end of fame or whatever. It's, like, everybody participating in this transactional frame of fame where it's, like, we're watching famous people do things. They're sort of reacting to what our reaction is. It's, like, it it just, nobody is doing great in that setup. It's almost like it's its own job. Mm-hmm. I sometimes hear people, you know, say things like they're making so much money, then they should be okay with the paparazzi and what have you. And then I think about how the paparazzi dealing with the paparazzi is its own like job part of the job description, which is part of the reason that the salary is so high. <laughs> like the more the more of these responsibilities you agree to when you become a famous person, the higher your salary should be. <laughs> I mean, who was it? Baudrillard, maybe. Sorry, you pretentious, <laughs> but I think it was Baudrillard. Who talks about famous like, people as being beyond death. Whoa. Like, that's what fame is. It's like, you're beyond death, you're beyond... Someone look it up. Um, or maybe <laughs> it was me. Baudrillard is me. Um, <laughs> Berland. <laughs> but I love that idea, and I think there's something that's so true in that, and that's what's also so... De- like. You know, when I was young, um, which was just two years ago, um, <laughs> I used to dream of fame. <laughs> or do you know what I mean? Like the idea, like when you're kind of a kid or something, you're just like, I want to be like famous or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that really is such a scary existence. Like when you're really, when you've achieved that level of fame that it's kind of like everyone you're interacting with can't even see yeah. you because they're only seeing the image of you. And I'm talking about like the hyper- you know, yeah, yeah, of the course. Brad Pitts of the world. Right. Um, mm. That's who we're all thinking of. Yeah, yeah. But, but <laughs> I would like, say so, yeah. And what a truly miserable existence. And that's the kind of idea of being beyond death. Like your own life isn't even, what Yours. is it? Yeah, yeah, or it's just like, it's only, you've been so heavily mediatized and imaged that when you're actually in the room, you're not in the room. Yeah. It's this, it's this like ontological thing where it's like, it's not even... I'm sure that life beyond death is is not even like talking about like immortality or whatever. It's just talking about your life not even being bound to 
your mortality. Does that make sense? I know we're totally, talking circles yeah. around the same sort of themes here, but it's like, oh, it's like it's not your it's not your own possession. Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. like you don't have access to reality anymore. Yeah. Sure, sure. But on on the subject of sort of life beyond death. Do we believe in God? Just kidding. Do we believe in God? Do we? <laughs> now I do. It's weird. <laughs> Something shifted for me, y'all. <laughs> y'all. Christ, um, actually. I'm Christ-centered cen- now. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Give it, give it the right name. Say the words. <laughs> I think that in terms of the Nia Elliott relationship, it's like this is a transaction. Your life is this like bartering piece, which is terrifying. And then with Chantal, it's like in terms of the isolation aspect of it and in terms of, well, just with the isolation aspect of it, like she's like locked herself into her apartment with all these like crazy like decor items and she's watching TV and she's watching her friends be talked about on the news. And the, and then, but, but, but to go back to that line of dialogue where she goes, what does this mean about me? It's like, oh, like she is only, her only point of connection with these people is through television perhaps. And then she starts to sort of go down this crazy, crazy throttling of like self-image or self-worth or whatever. And she's like, this, I I have to start a business. I mean, like, you know, she is sort of unmoored by the fact that her friends are becoming notorious. Yes. And the Wallace Shawn, like all you need is one Wallace Shawn person to come in and be like, let's do it. He's so funny. I mean, he's such a genius, but that is like perfect. And then uh, like, it's kind of true. Like if there's one person that's like, yeah, then you can just go down this rabbit hole so easily. She sort of seems to keep finding, she she finds Lucia Struess who, you know, has faith in her, this woman from (gasps) women leading to lead. You know, she, she looks at her with this intensity that, you know, says, she believes in her and then yeah and then when wallace sean comes in it's a lot so of validation it takes, a, it takes totally. two <laughs> it takes a lucia it takes a wallace mm-hmm. yeah we all have them in our <laughs> lives <laughs> after this quick break we'll continue discussing the themes of fame and narcissism in the context of search party with claire mcnulty and kate berlant don't go anywhere Okay, let's go about let's go about the conversation to more characters on the show. Yeah, who do who do we think um is the most dangerous with their narcissism? We've talked to people who have written on the show who say that the the series is constantly at this high pitch of like distress and with rage and with obsession and with self obsession that it's a pretty even playing field. But who do we think is the most dangerous with their quest for fame? Let's say. And there is a right answer. There is a right answer. <laughs> I, I, I would say, I wouldn't say that it's Elliot, because I think Elliot is able to keep track of his, yeah. is able to check himself on his narcissism, even though it goes, it spins out of control. He's 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 at least able to self-catalog his lies. Yeah. And, and he's so transparent. There's like, you know, like he can't hide his performance. I mean, right. John Early yeah. as an actor can't hide his performance. <laughs> or, you know, you, you're like, oh, well, he's acting. You know, I can feel that. But, um... I guess Dory, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Dory. I I think that is the right answer. There is a right answer. I I knew it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But like, how does that? How does that? The most pronounced in its manifestation, like, 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 what is the 
sort of most destructive version of that narcissism. I feel like it's in her sort of bending reality to other people. I mean, you know, to use the word, she gaslights yeah. Yeah. everyone into thinking that she had nothing to do with the murder, including the people who saw her yeah. Yeah. involved. And herself, so, even. Sure, sure, sure. Like, yeah. I think, yeah, maybe her, her belief that she will and deserves to be, like, exempt from everything and kind of yeah. her mm-hmm. own... Yeah, she seems to have that kind of like very real feeling of deserving to be absolved. Yeah. Which I feel like I've never seen the show. But uh, yeah, just (laughs) the one I've picked up through gifts and whatnot. (laughs) I like to imagine that a a lot of that comes from her um, feeling so stepped on and ignored. I like that point in the show a lot. Sure, (laughs) That once she she gets to the point where she finds her power, she feels like she's paid her dues. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's funny that you say that she feels like she's paid her dues because, I mean, that that ties into this entitlement thing that we yeah. are talking about, where she feels entitled to being known. She kind of revels in this notoriety with, with the way that she smiles in the mugshot. Oh, this is the thing I wanted to talk about with Chantal is that um, she is sort of fully disconnected from her relationship with these four people, um, Drew and Dory and Elliot and Portia. And then it's, it's sort of just like pushes out into these interesting ways where she is in love with Drew in the second season. I mean, what do you think, what do you think about Chantal as a person sort of putting people through pain or discomfort through the means of her own narcissism or through the means of her own indulgences? I think, I think she just has a perception of reality that is different than what is true. I think she believes that they are all very close friends of hers and that in college, Drew definitely wanted her mm-hmm. and wasn't able to fulfill that because he was with Dory. And I think she has a full narrative going on in her head about how she relates to these people. And so she just proceeds as if that's true. Okay, last few questions. Um, do we think Dory is a narcissist or is she just in denial about what is going on? I think she's leaning towards narcissism for sure. Probably leaning towards narcissism. Yeah. Okay. Where, where does sociopathy come into this? <laughs> Cause I think I, I don't yeah. know enough, you know, about that to really talk about it. But I do think that there's, I, you know, whenever I watch the show with people, that tends to be a term that comes up a lot. A sociopath. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, also, like, murdering makes you crazy. Yeah. You know, it's like, if you're... Right. Like, I think if you kill someone, or if you're... I I don't know. I think that... It rearranges you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't think you come out of that and you go, okay, what are we going to do here? You know, I don't think you can really, (laughs) like, pull yourself together. And, like, unless you're, you know, of course, going the route that they don't go, of, like, going to the... You know, turning yourself in and taking full responsibility. I was watching a documentary last night one of these like things that's, you know, barely content, (laughs) but it's about like a mob boss or something. And one of his acolytes had, had become a, um, a witness for the prosecution. And on this documentary, he was, he was speaking very casually about the time that he went to kill someone. Yeah. And like how the, the, he was so casual about it. It was so casual. It was like, well, you know, we had to go do this murder. And then we were, when we were done with that murder, we went and we did this other thing, which is, just to say <laughs> that yeah, I, mean, I think your reality completely shifts once you've done a murder. Okay. So I have here, what would the title of your memoir be? <gasps> sort of in that Elliot Goss 
tie in uh, with his story. But uh, I actually just want to ask, I don't think I need the title. I just want to know what trauma would you mine for oh, your memoir? What trauma would you? I, I do want to tell you a title, though, because when I was 10 years yeah, old, oh, please, please. When I was 10 years old, I did decide a title for my memoir. And the and my 10 year old title for my memoir was I know this much is true. <laughs> oh, my God. Spandau Ballet. <laughs> I mean, first of all, it's a wonderful title, but it's also it's it's a beautiful lyrical reference to that wonderful song. Yeah, you, you plagiarized. Which song? Just to clear, which song is? You I mean, have I thought know. it was an original thought, but you were plagiarizing. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure. But what what song is it? I don't. If you will, you sing it. It's. <laughs> oh right, this much is true. Yeah, 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 yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's also the title of the Divine, if I may, HBO miniseries. Um, I know this much is true, starring Mark Ruffalo as twins, which I know what you're thinking. Well, that's uh. cheesy. It's divine. <laughs> he pulls it off. He does the unthinkable. It's extraordinary. Wow. Claire, that's an excellent title. Thank it you. is. Even if it was plagiarized. To... Thank you. No, 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 no. It was, though. No, no, no. Probably. I'm not hur- hur- hurling that accusation at you. Kate is. Yes. I'm Kate... feeling it. I'm feeling it like it's yes. being hurled. Mine would be untitled, obviously. <laughs> obviously. Yeah. But what would the experience be that you would right. mind? Oh, God. <laughs> I, I can go. Um, yeah, I will. Yeah. I would talk about um, the sort of culture shock of moving from Canada to the U.S. to Colorado right after Columbine and JonBenet Ramsey. So I thought Colorado is the place where mm. all the people get murdered. Yeah. And then um, there was one day after school, my first week of elementary of the fourth grade in Colorado. I didn't really know the language of English. I'd only known my dirty French Canadian. That that was sort of the only way I knew how to communicate. And then was just went hysterical at the age of eight, thinking that my mother had been shot point blank on on the streets. You know, <gasps> just like I mean, that's just like, and I think that would probably sell. Definitely. Oh, please, you've uttered it now. the The calls will be coming in. The offers will yes, be pouring yes. in as soon as this goes live. So, that's 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 like the the sort of thread of my memoir. I don't know the title yeah. yet. No, the title is not again. <laughs> yeah. Kate, Kate, what about you? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, having suffered no trauma, um, <laughs> yes. aside from you know the micro tease, which I'm undoing in therapy, but um, <laughs> I, uh, I don't the know, probably like the Kate. classic. Yeah, my therapist calls them that. I'm like, well, they're still teased. So, um, <laughs> is that in itself a micro tease? Yeah. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode. The maybe the only child time spent alone stuff. I think you would write the definitive only child. Oh like, my god! It could be called the only child. Essay collection. Yeah. The only child. Yeah, or I don't know why, but I was thinking of. I haven't. I've never actually talked about this publicly. I don't think. But I was thinking about <laughs> the first time that I think I remember like performing. I just remember I used to ask my dad. It's fucked up if I could pretend to be blind on the street. Oh no! I've done this. I used to do this as a kid. Yeah. Oh my god! See. And so, yeah, I mean, it's like, and, uh, and he would let me, of course, and it was like pretending to be blind, no, and then like kind of anticipating the reaction or anticipating the person watching me, or I could see them, but they couldn't see me seeing them (laughs) and like, um, seeing their kind of horror discomfort. But of course I would always, like my dad talks about, like, I'd be like, daddy, I hate being blind. Like I would say it just to really like drive it home. (laughs) So they understood. Oh yeah. Did you ever watch that Ally McBeal episode? Either of you. I've never seen a single frame. I just have to stop you there, but keep going. Uh, 
Okay, thank you, thank you. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really watch it that much either. But there is, a, there is a, a scene where Lucy Liu is on, uh, in a rush to get to the office, mm. and she's with her other, she's with her other associates, her other lawyers, or whatever, and she's just exasperated. And she's, she's, she's standing at the street corner, and the light won't turn to the walking signal. So, and so what she does is she puts on sunglasses, whips out a a, a stick. And and just crosses the crosswalk pretending to be blind. And yeah. I remember just being so blown away by that as a child and thinking, I want to I want to be that person. That's how you're and gonna so have in life. <laughs> sure. And I and to to what? Like just fraudulently be disabled. I mean it's it's whatever. Um <laughs> I, I would do that too, Kate. Yeah. Wild, wild. Okay. Um Claire, have you have have we landed on a on a on a on a micro T even a micro-t. for what this book could be? <laughs> This is an opportunity to, for me to tell the one interesting story about myself, which is that when, <laughs> and so this is what it would all be based on. The one? Yeah. Uh, there's <laughs> one, which is that when I was four, me and my best friend at the time ran away. Successfully? Successfully. <laughs> we just wanted to spend the night. My mom came over because we were at her house. My mom came over uh-huh. and we thought that if we, you know, hid for long enough, uh, we could just, we could spend the night. I don't know. We were being sassy. Anyway, we, we like hid in the neighborhood. We like hid like in a wash and then we hid like behind some oleander bushes and eventually great touch. Put that in the book, put that in the book. (laughs) And at some point it got to be like, you know, three or four o'clock in the morning. (laughs) Oh my God. At one point we were looking out underneath these oleander bushes and we saw cops walking by with police dogs like German shepherds and there were like helicopters around everywhere and this is Tucson so it's like kind of you know it's open we're in the uh-huh. west side of Tucson so it's it's um open and people have these big huge backyards um with just like chain link fences so it's it's pretty easy to see things um and the dogs couldn't smell us they couldn't find us and we we knew that we were going to be in really big trouble so we went back to the backyard and we we hid in my friend's chicken coop <laughs> uh, thinking that pastoral i don't know uh, maybe they would find us there because we didn't we were too proud to turn ourselves in and the incompetence cop, of the tucson police is really kind of the subtext yeah the, yeah really can you display here. believe so finally a, a police officer came into the backyard and he shone a light into the chicken coop and found us and he put one of us under each of his arms and he Darling. he walked yeah. yeah isn't that sweet and <laughs> <laughs> i love that don't humanize them yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we walked into the the living room and you know our moms were there weeping and we're surrounded by detectives and um I don't i'm think... sure the parallels to chantal are not lost on you no no oh, no there it is you know nothing was wrong i just wanted to I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. I did more of the packing the bag, going to the front door. I'm leaving. And then, of course, never <laughs> actually leaving. I, I, I'll end on this. Um, the only time I've ever, I've ever dialed 911 was when I was eight years old. Um, <laughs> Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire was about to come out. Um, we did not know what we know now about Miss J.K. Rowling. But... I was so excited for the book to come out, did not read the prior three books, but was just high on the communal collective hype of, <laughs> of, course, of this release. Of course, we need it. 
And my sister, my older sister had read the three books and she was like, we have to go to Barnes & Noble to, at the, for the midnight release. And my parents were like, absolutely not. It's a school night. You are not to, you're to, you're to be in bed by nine, whatever. And we were just, things had escalated so much that I picked up the phone. Well, first I threatened to call the police and report them for child abuse. <laughs> wow. And so, and then they, they called my bluff and then I um, actually did it. And then I had to immediately hang up on the dispatcher and then they called back and they were like, is everything okay? My parents had to be like, yes, my children are being very uh, spirited about this book release. I'm so sorry. So. <laughs> Do you remember what you said when they said 911? What's your emergency? Immediately hung up, was terrified, did not expect someone to actually yeah. pick up. I thought yeah, I thought it. it was just like, I thought it just rang folklore. a few times. Yeah, Folklore. Folklore. <laughs> so anyway. Isn't well, that Dispatcher 101? You don't call back and go, everything all right over there? Okay, good. Just double checking. No. No. Come on. Um, well, on that note, thank you so much to Claire McNulty and Kate Berlant. What a of joy. the day. Thank you. Thank you. This has been wonderful. Great to see you. Okay. Um, I think I think we're I think we got it. Okay, I think we great. Got oh, we got it. Don't worry. I've been doing this a long time, sweetie. We got it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Thank you so much to Claire McNulty and Kate Berlant for stopping by so we can talk about what else? Ourselves. And Search Party, of course. Until next time, I'm Bowen Yang. Join me next week for two new episodes in which we deep dive into the many themes of Search Party with even more special guests. Search Party, the podcast, is a production of HBO Max and iHeartRadio. It's executive produced by Ethan Fixell, produced and written by Jonah Bayer, written and researched by Marissa Brown, and engineered, edited, and mixed by Matt Stillo. If you haven't already subscribed, rated, or reviewed Search Party, the podcast, please do so on the iHeartRadio app, HBO Max, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you might get your podcasts. And don't forget to watch season four of Search Party, premiering January 14th only on HBO Max. 